Welcome back to the lab, family. What's up, Big Thug Gang? It's your man's the general in the studio, and as you can tell by my clicky pen, it's no games today, man. I've got some notes. We're talking about something personal to me, you know. An integral part of my life. An alter ego of mine that went by the name of Slim Jim Slider in, you know, the early to late 70s. So, just, you know, sit back, get a drink in your hand, and just, you know, immerse yourself into this story with me, man. Like, this is, came to me in a dream. You know, it's who I used to be in the past life, you know? And a lot of people ask me why I think the way I think and why I move the way I move. I think this is a little bit of insight into that, man. Alright, so sit back, put your chill coat on, whatever it is, your blanket, see if you can keep up. Stay tuned. Alright man, you know me, I don't like to wait around, let's jump into it with both feet. But first, a disclaimer. None of this is factual or relatively makes sense unless, you know, you have the same diagnosis I do. But yeah, this is the, the story of Slim Jim Slider. And I know y'all probably heard it in the episode before and you didn't know what it was talking about because I cut out the part where I introduced it. So here it goes. Slim Jim Slatter was me in a past life and he was a pimp who really wanted to rap. A pimp with rap dreams, basically. And when he did start rapping and getting successful, I can't speak English apparently, that's when you got shot in the kidneys and bled out. So, today we explore how you go from being a successful pimp and a perspectual rapper to having two bullets in the kidneys and being laid out. Alright, so, Slim Jim Slaughter was a man. A man of many troubles, you know. Man, you know, people that have been through a lot and then at one point they just become silent. Slim Jim Slider was one of them types, but he found solace in poetry and rhymes and rap. Yeah. Basically, in my past life, I invented rap. But, but just, you know, be patient, okay? It's all going to come together. All right. So in the beginning, it was a man and a woman. Robert and Coretta Kane. They had a child. They named him Robert Jr. Kane. And he was born on April 15th, 1949. He was born in Biloxi, Mississippi. And he was brought up much like myself, you know, religiously in the church. His parents were not educated. This was 1949 Mississippi, so... You know, black people weren't as evolved. 
So, born in Mississippi, brought up in a church. He was, you know, an altar boy in the choir, the whole nine. So, in Mississippi in 1949, it was really hard for black children to go to school, so they stayed home and worked the farm and everything. Robert Kane Sr. did not see that as a future for his son. So he moved his family to a suburb in Michigan. It wasn't much better, but they could go to school and he got some land where he could practice his natural art of farming. And they were joining family that had escaped earlier to Michigan. So Robert Jr. goes to school. And he gets himself a little nickname, RJ. And then RJ is still in the church, still in the choir, still a good boy. He's in middle school by now, you know. And in middle school, much like the rest of us, you know, most of us, he made himself a little shawty, you know, a little somebody, you feel me? And this girl, this girl that we shall call Cindy. I didn't think that far in the story, okay? Indulge me. All right, so he met Cindy Crawford. That's a person, isn't it? Yeah, probably not. For copyright reasons, Cindy Green. Right, so Robert Kane meets Cindy Green. You know, sparks will fly. And he wrote her his first poem. And it read like this. I don't mean to creep, and please don't tell your brother, but when you walk away, I weep, because that booty don't look like no other. (laughs) Tell me that's not player. He was spitting big boy game in the eighth grade, man, 14 years old, talking grown man shit, and I can't get enough of it. So, if you know anything about rural America or black church, That'd get you smacked by a girl like Cindy Green. Is that her name? Yeah. Cindy Green, right? But Cindy Green had a father. Unlike most black children. That's fucked up. That's fucked up, I know. But yeah. Cindy Green had a dad. And her dad, Dr. Carson Green, because he was a famous, revered black doctor. And Cindy was a shit. And after she smacked her, she told her dad. So Dr. Carson Green, he had an appreciation for this young man's talent. So he decided to take him under his wing. And he taught him to appreciate, you know, art, all kinds of art, good literature. Taught him even how to improve the business that his father's firm was conducting. So this man became a literate mentor for him because remember his dad was still president, working on the farm, doing all that. And that's who really introduced him to like great poets and great works, you know, all the William Ernest Henleys and the Shakespeare's and all that. And you know, Add some 
pimp to his player. Like, you know, when you're smooth like that, you also need to have some intellectual game, you know? Just so you're not caught into that, you know, playboy little thing. I'm making this about myself. But yeah, so Dr. Carson Green becomes the second father for our protagonist. So, you know, things go by, middle school goes by, they go to different schools. Cindy couldn't be any happier, but, you know, it meant less time at Dr. Carson's house. So, in high school, Robert's mom passed, unfortunately, and... He he detached himself from the church because that's what they had in common. But, you know, he retained all his music capabilities and held on to his faith and all that good stuff. And then it became hard, you know, balancing school, a part-time job, helping run the farm. He only found solace in his rhymes. And he kept rhyming. And it was kind of his therapy, you know. Also, a great pastime. Because Robert had joined family in Michigan. And this family was not not people you want to associate with, you know. The Frank Lucas types. But not as smart. You know, like Frank Lucas's men. Yeah, basically. Foot soldiers. His cousins were foot soldiers and drug peddlers. So the rhyming was keeping him from that from that life. He was always a brilliant guy. It's always about that. And now he was in his third year of high school, graduation looming. The grief from losing his mother and now his father at that point. He had also succumbed to an untimely demise. So now the grief was undealt with. RJ was getting in more and more trouble living with his cousins. You know, the foot soldier cousins. And there was no way to escape the life. So he decided to drop out and go figure out his own thing, you know? And when you make an executive decision like that, at the time he was living with his aunts and their sons, and, you know, in a household of two female parents, it's hard to explain how you made the executive decision to drop out of high school. But at the same time, you know... They're women parents. They will find it in their heart not to kill you. So he decides to drop out. And his last straw was he tried to borrow his cousin's record player, you know, because they had stuff. They was out in the streets, you know, getting busy moving shit. So he decides to borrow his cousin's vinyl 
But he had no vinyls because he couldn't afford them. Remember, this is the 60s. So he tries to borrow the vinyl and he tries to borrow a record. And his cousin goes, Hey, Jake. What's a broke cat like you trying to play records for? He know damn well only rich niggas get to listen to that smooth shit. Get yourself some money and stop fucking borrowing shit all the goddamn time. That's my impression of his... <laughs> that's my impression of his 70s older brother. Or cousin or whatever. Details are unimportant. Okay? So, basically... I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, in those words... He found the motivation to go out and hustle. So, he got a job... The only one he could hold on to for, you know, around two weeks to be a part time performer at a little disco spot, you know. But, you know, the ego of and combined with the talent makes it hard to work with people. So he was great on the drums. He does that saxophone, all that cool shit. He was James Brown and his band. So. He gets a little too big-headed. He gets fired from the club. And he decides, you know, to be an, an entrepreneur. He decides to go his own route and start his own... Uh... Yeah, there's no right way to say this. But yeah, he met a lady. Her name was Melina. And he instantly fell in love. But... Mr. Robert Kane Jr. never let his feelings cloud his judgment. Which is, you know, in many ways, an admirable quality. And he walked up to her. And after a few minutes of scintillating conversation. that I'm being sarcastic because of what you're about to find out. He found out that she was, in fact... You know, procuring services. Following the law. And she had recently, you know, left her pimp in the city, in Detroit. So, RJ figures she probably will not be making any money in this buttfuck nowhere city of Detroit. I mean, of Michigan. The suburbs of Michigan, he says, I will be your bodyguard. I will protect you from your old pimp if we both go back to Detroit and I act as your manager. This is where his business goal just amazes me. You know, he doesn't call himself her pimp, he offers a business arrangement and calls himself her manager. Now, this young lady was troubled, extremely troubled, drug passed, a lot of kids that she didn't know where she left one from the other, but she was connected. She was from Detroit, and she had made herself a few friends, you know, and she was on the circuit before, so... These girls clearly need the fairer rates, you know, the little 10%, but 
that Mr. RJ offers. And he offers them protection. You know? So he makes this a little bit of a business, you know? So much so <clears throat> that it turns into a, a gentleman's club where these previous women became, you know, dancers and servers and, you know, cleaned up their act. And he was a major part of that. But he still had his eye on the devil grasped Melina and he couldn't get his eye off her. So he kept pursuing her romantically. And the poor woman did not want him to go through all this. The poor woman kept insisting that she wasn't the woman he wanted her to be. And it eventually led to his downfall, but you know, that's far in the future. So, Robert Jr. has made himself a name in the big city of Detroit. And he's a charming person. He's a an outstandingly charming man. His hair is permed. He wears foreign eyewear. He has a fedora hat on every single day. You can only see the tips of his hair. He wears a fur coat, white leather boots, a belt buckle with his name spelled in gold. The whole line, you know. You type pimp into Google, the first picture you see, I, <laughs> I bet you it probably look like that. So, Robert Jr. has made a name for himself. So, on to other things. Much like anyone else who makes a little bit of money in the name for themselves, they go into what they're passionate about. He's always loved to write rhymes, but he's always also had a a passion for, you know, yes, the great classics of music, like the Beethovens, because he was that kind of guy, but he was also a modern guy, you know, into the times. So he's always loved the Motown, rock and roll, the Elvises, the James Browns. Oh, James Brown is a great man. Shout out to the dead. But yeah, so he made himself a headliner at his own club. I know that sounds like a poor business decision to most people. But he was talented. He wrote impeccable rhymes. And he had a band. So this is all coming together pretty amazingly for this guy. And in 1970, 1971 rather, a popular candy came to the market. Now, this establishment was a gentleman's club. You know? So, a lot of things, as you might imagine, were named after, you know, different types of candies, you know? Or flowers, or whatever. Strippers are always named after candy or flowers. But anyway, well, I don't know about now. It's been a long, long time since I've been in the strip club, you know, <laughs> since 1976. Anyway, so he decides the Slim Jim is the hottest thing of the 70s. As a candy came out in the 
1970, exactly. So he decides, you know, why not attach my name to something that's blowing up at the same time as I am? You know, healthy business decision. And he goes by the stage name, Slim Jim Slider. Now you might wonder where the name Slider came from. This takes us back to his high school days because Mr. Slider wrote rhymes in high school and he performed them in front of his high school friends as they would bang on the table and make rhythmic sounds. And guess what they called it? Sliding on the beat. So, the expression sliding from the beat, I mean sliding on the beat, dates from 1970 was invented by my former sole occupant, Slim Jim Slider. And when he moved to Detroit and he started this wonderful establishment, he named it Sliders. So, as a stage name, it only made sense to him to pick Slim Jim Slider. And he grew in popularity as the hours went by. Athletes were ecstatic. And, you know, he still turned a few tricks, you know. Just, you know, the high-profile ones. And he took a small cut from a big paycheck. That's never a bad thing. So, athletes, movie stars, anyone that had a name to be spoken for was at Slider's. This obviously did not make the street runners of Detroit happy. All of 8 Mile was an outrage. Because this foreigner from Mississippi was taking over the city slowly by slowly. So, in an effort to bring him down, they went for his biggest weakness, Molina. Now, Molina had been with a pimp before, who she was romantically involved with, and still had feelings for. So, he got back in contact with her to the orders of, you know, we not gonna talk about it, but you know, black mob, you know what it is? Hell yeah. So, following the orders of his superiors, this man who shall not be named because I haven't come up with a name for him, <laughs> he rendezvoused Melina, reintroduced her to her old ways. She's all out of sorts. And he made her you know, call for Slim Jim. And, of course, he was helpless to her charms. And, as he does, he showed up to take care of her, make sure she gets off it all over again. And when he got to where she had called him to, it was a terrible demise awaiting him. Two bullets from a Ruger into his kidneys. 
and they watched him bleed out. And as he saw the light, he moonwalked to the light. <laughs> hey, man. You know, I skipped over a lot of parts because I had notes, you know. Remember the pen thing at the beginning? But I couldn't get through it. Some of this stuff is just ridiculous, man. But, yeah, that's the that's the big part. And how does it tie to my personality now, you ask? One, James Brown is the coldest man to ever exist. I will say this and stand by it till the day I die. Two, I never let my emotions cloud my judgment. This is why I'm not opposed to the idea that I might. For the right person, obviously, you know. But if you're truly an object, if you truly claim to be an objective person, then you should understand that sometimes emotions are the ones that hit the gas. Anyway, let's not get too deep into that. But I also think I have a bit of a, you know bit of a pimp side not in the actual sense of the term but you know in my mannerisms and the way i carry myself because if you look at it in that way pimps were very um what's the correct adjective here i do not want to be wrong because they would crucify me you know who i mean when i say they a lot of people say I'm, they don't know who i'm talking about when i say the haters but <laughs> yeah the ops might crucify me. So, pimps in character are very business savvy people. Capitalists in their true nature. And who can hate on that? This is, this is America at the end of the day. But yeah. 1976 got shot. You know, he took a sabbatical. For quite a few years. And then... 27 years later... 25, 27... Now he returned. As a cold nigga. (laughs) Oh my god. But yeah, man. Y'all be healthy this weekend. I hope you enjoyed this story time. It took me like seven and a half minutes to come up with it. So, you know. Yeah. Show some love, man. Alright, don't forget to share, comment, leave a voice message, check the Big Thug Boys Instagram, check the Big Thug Boys Twitter page. Yeah, man. And obviously, there's a lot of, lot of information here. This was just a layout, but you know, shout me. I'm going to put a poll on all my accounts. See, just let me know if you want to hear the chronicles of Slim Jim Slider. The detailed dreams that keep coming to me to tell me this wonderful man's adventures in life. There's so much packed on how you go from 
a guitar and piano and saxophone playing Sophocles reading church boy to a rapping pimp in Detroit. It's such a downfalling ascension. Clearly, I'm very passionate about it. But yeah, polls are going up. Go check the pages, man. Give me a shout. Let me know. If you want to hear more chronicles of Slim Jim Slider. And on that note, it's been the general. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye.